I have a memory verse for us. Um, if you can put that on the screen, and, and uh, I like to have the scriptures are so important to me, and they should be to you because it's the Word of God. And again, the Word of God is the power of God that transforms lives. It's the one that brought you, it's the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. He brought you to salvation. It's the Word of God that will continue to lift you up, to build you up, to, uh, to correct and to, uh, to uh, fulfill. And uh, uh, the Word of God just is everything. God's people today don't uh, stick into the Word of God like they used to. It seems as, it just seems to me, an old guy's opinion, okay, but whatever it's worth. So I, I, I encourage you to stay in the Word of God. So let's, let's know that, first off, that God is able to do more than I, can, than I think He can. And that's really the whole focus of the Bible, isn't God just moving in and doing things that they didn't think it were possible. So if you have an impossible in your life, I want you to know it's not too hard for God. And so we need to be reminded of that. So here's a memory verse for us. Let's say that together. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Now that's going to be a key verse for us for the next month or so while we're preaching our way through the book of Ephesians. And uh, that's where we're going to go. So if you have Bibles with you, you can get your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to share a, uh, about the first nine verses, and we're just going to unpack that for us this morning and see what the Holy Spirit would say to us. So before we do that, let's pray right now. Father God, we thank you for your word. It's incredible. It transforms our lives. It's, the, it's, it's your power at work within us. Lord, uh, we pray that the Holy Spirit would hover over your word and bring it to life today. Lord, I pray that you would touch these lips of clay, and that, God, that you would anoint them to speak your word. And, Lord, as I do with fear and trembling, God, I pray that it goes forth and it does everything that you want it to accomplish today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. amen. That means I'm listening. That's what amen means. I'm listening. Not, but that's what I want it to mean today. Okay, so. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so I got to thinking about that word, think. And I want to share a message with you today entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? Or Who Do I Think I Am? I'm reminded of Moses when he stood before God, and, and you know, he had failed miserably. And uh, he stood before God, and, and God began to outline this plan that he had for Moses. And Moses is going, uh, uh, God, can you get somebody else? And you've, you've never said that when God's spoke to you about what he wants you to do, have you? You've never said, God, here am I, send Aaron. You know, that, but that's what, that's what Moses kept saying. God, I, he, his problem was, who am I? He had a speech impediment. He probably had a southern accent. I don't know, but uh, he, he had a speech impediment. He, he, uh, he had he'd done some things in the past that he was embarrassed about, ashamed of, and so he came to God. He's going, to God, you know, who am I? And what did the Lord say to him? In, in a sense, he said, well, I am that I am. But what he's saying to Moses and to us is, don't worry about who you are. The important thing is who he is. And him at work in us is the hope of glory. Him at work in us transforms us so that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And uh, that's what Ephesians is about. I like the story that's told about some thieves who broke into a jewelry store and they didn't steal anything. But what they did is they, they changed the price tags. They took the price tags off the junky stuff and they put it onto the, uh, onto the high dollar stuff. Then the next day they just kind of went in and, 
and uh, took the, uh, purchased the high dollar stuff for a lower price. And that's pretty innovative, I think, of, uh, for thieves. Um, you know, you don't elevate thieves, but that's pretty, pretty good. And, and I think about the switching of price tags, and there's nothing more evident than in the area of self-worth. Especially in our, in our culture, we are constantly bombarded by being put down. Uh, whether you grow up in a family that somebody was yelling at you all the time. And parents, if you're a yeller, you need to stop that. You need to get saved. You know, start, start uh, uh, speaking to your children. You okay with that word saved? You know what I'm saying. You, there's got to be a transformation there. Stop yelling at kids and, and, and begin to speak to them um, without yelling at them and bringing them down and putting them down. And, and, and so, many, so many people that we've talked to through the years that are just struggling with their identity and their self-worth and their value uh, it's, uh, it, a lot of times it just starts right there with mom or dad in, this, in a screaming situation and maybe bullying at school or uh, things that should, should never have happened. But we begin to think on those things and we go, yeah, and pretty soon we begin to believe it. When my dad left, I was a young man and I, I remember the sights and sounds of that very day that when he drove away in his Studebaker Lark, that's how old I am, um, he drove away in his Lark, this green Studebaker Lark. I hate green to this day. But I remember sitting there and I was crying my eyes out because my dad just left me and somehow I got this thought that said, you know what, the reason he's leaving is because you're a worthless piece. You're nothing. And, you're, and he's leaving you because of, of, because of who you are. And you know what, for years I believed that. And, uh, and, and it made me an angry young man and it made me an angry teenager and then an angry adult. And... Uh, uh, got into all kinds of things to try to relieve that pressure, to relieve that pain that I was feeling inside because I was just absolutely worthless. I know none of you have ever felt worthless in your life, but that's my story. So I, I want us to, because of this struggle for identity and self-worth, even, even amongst Christians, we have wrong thinking that leads us to self, the wrong self-talk. And even uh, Christians sometimes can never get, uh, get above who God says they are because they don't know what he says they are, who they are. And they hang around other people to kind of keep them pulled down. Uh, I remember when, when we wanted to stop doing some things that we really felt convicted of by the Holy Spirit that we need to stop this. But we had friends that didn't understand that and they wanted to reach out and just pull you right back into it again. You ever have that experience in your life where your friends that would, should be happy for you, that you're moving on, that you're, you know, there's some new things in your life, and yet they'll reach up sometimes and pull you right back down into the same can with them. And so there's got to be a, a transformation. We learned that there had to be a transformation even in our friendships because they would speak to you back to the old stuff again and uh, how important that is. Um, Born-again believers uh, seem to struggle believing who God says they are in Him. So these first nine verses, maybe even a little bit more, but we're just going to unpack nine verses here. And that's what Paul's addressing. He's talking to some Gentile believers, and uh, he's trying to say, you know, these guys were uh, idolaters. Uh, they, they worshiped idols. Ephesus was a, a center for idol worship. Um, they had all kinds of immor immoral acts. They had temple prostitutes, male and female. Uh, there was homosexuality, there was all kinds of things that, and, and God was at work in their lives and pulling them out of that and putting them together. And so Paul wanted to write to them and encourage them to live according to the standard that God set for their lives 
and be who God said they were rather than getting pulled back into who the society that they lived in said they were and who even their self-talk, they had to break free from who they thought they were and begin to believe who God says. So I titled this message today, uh, Who Do I Think I Am or Who Do You Think You Are? And we're not saying that, like, who do you think you are? You know, we're saying, I'm just asking that question. Who do you really think that you are? So the first one, let's unpack this a little bit and go to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now this is from the NASB. That's the real, real Bible. So that's just a joke. I have a lot of fun when I'm preaching. I don't know if you, you have fun with me. But. All right, here's, the, here's what he says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? I mean, here he's going, well, here I'm, I'm, I'm Paul, and I, and I hope I'm okay with Jesus. And, and uh, you know, uh, I think, I think, I feel like God's called me to, to preach. No, he's saying, listen, I'm Paul. I am an apostle of Christ. And I'm called by Christ Jesus because of the will of God in my life. Whoa. Where's people like that today? You know, that know that they know that they know who they are, and their calling is sure. And he says this, I'm here to, I'm writing this letter to the saints. He didn't write this letter to the cemetery, to dead people that maybe been canonized and now they're saints because they're in heaven. He said, I am writing this to you saints who are at Ephesus. They're still alive. God calls us saints. There's a heresy, a doctrine that says that you become a saint after you're dead and somebody tells you that now you've somehow become a saint because of all the wonderful things that you did. No, you're a saint because of all the wonderful things that he did in our life. All right. I get animated too once in a while. Is that okay? As long as I don't break something. He says this, to the saints who are at Ephesus who are the faithful in Christ Jesus. Listen to that who are the faithful in Christ Jesus. Give grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So number one, there's four points here today. Number one is this. I am no longer a sinner. I am a saint. Now when I say that to people, they go, I've had people that wanted to stone me because I said that you're no longer a sinner. Oh yeah, uh, I'm a sinner. No, I didn't say that you can't sin. I just said when God sees you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint. He sees a saint that can sin, but when we do sin now, he is faithful and just if we confess our sins to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There's no place in the New Testament that once you have been born again, born of the Spirit, that he says you're still a sinner. And yet we parrot that. Have you ever been around someone who, you know, they're talking about uh, their own personal life and they're struggling with some area of their life? And somebody else, some kind-hearted person, thinking that they're doing God a service, will say, well, you know, we're all just sinners. No. Stop that. Wash your mouth out with soap. That's what my mom used to do when I would say those dirty words. You're no longer a sinner. You are a saint. God elevates your position if anybody understands grace more than anybody else I've ever talked to, it's Dan Lindholm. And probably Deb does too because he, I'm sure he preaches at his wife. 
Now, grace is not a license here, so you got to be careful with that. But we, when we sin, that doesn't make us a sinner. I'm still a saint who is capable of sin. You understand? I'm not saying that we're not sinners anymore, that we, or that we can't sin. I'm just saying that we are not sinners in the eyes of God. You can't be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and still be a sinner. You can't be born again of His Spirit and still be a sinner. You just can't. So either you're one or the other. Listen to what the, listen to what the definition is. Sinner is an evildoer. An immoralist, a wrongdoer, a reprobate, unworthy, unacceptable, or evil. In a biblical sense, a sinner is a person who transgresses against divine law by, by committing immoral acts. So you want to call yourself a sinner? Why would you do that? That's not who you are. A saint, and on the other hand, is one who's set apart for holy use. I want to be holy. Right? Set apart for you, my master. That's what, that's what a saint is. They're set apart for the master. And it's an amazing thing because the very next thing that, that Paul writes here is that he says in verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And I chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. Wow. I was chosen by God before he created the world. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a saint. I'm a saint that was chosen by God before the foundation of the world. God's, you know, I was a contractor and I laid block and poured basements and stuff. And I'm, in my mind's eye, I'm imagining God out there just, you know, laying the foundation, grabbing a block, throwing it in there and there. He's thinking about Wendy. He's thinking about Dave and he's going, Dave needs Wendy. So I'm going to put them together. Before, wow, he's doing all that. God is amazing, isn't he? He's just a, it's amazing to me that God would choose you and I before he created the world. What a planner. Think about that. It didn't surprise God that you would do the things that you did. It doesn't surprise him that he would save you. He knew, he knew, he knew, he knew. And he destined, predestined you for that. Now there's a lot of people that struggle with predestination. I don't care if you struggle with it or not. In the Bible, so you gotta, you're going to have to wrap your brain around it someplace in time. So there it is. So he elected you. In other words, he said, I want you. I want you for the 2019 time frame. Or I want you for whatever that year was that you got saved, 1970 or 60 or as old as some of you, it might have been 40 or 50, 1950. Whatever that time frame was, God knew you and created you before the world was created or knew you before the creator, chose you before. In Isaiah 41, 9 and 10, it says, You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts, I said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. 
Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now God chose us to be blameless and holy. He chose us to be blameless and holy. And that's, that freaks people out. Because they go, well, what does that mean? Back in the Old Testament days, he had a tabernacle that he had all kinds of wonderful things that were done there, beautiful things and ornaments, and, and it, was pretty, it was a pretty special tent. That's what a tabernacle was. They moved it around throughout the wilderness. It was pretty cool. Then when King David came, they, they decided they needed to build a temple, and his son Solomon built this extravagant temple, overlaid everything with gold, and it was hand-carved with cedars, and uh, it was just pretty amazing. But no matter how much gold the temple had, no matter how wonderful the wood carvings were, it wasn't holy. It couldn't be holy. But it became holy because God's presence was in it. And when God calls us as saints, and he chose us from the foundations of the world to be blameless and holy, what he's saying is, I have chosen you that I can fill you with me. I'm going to put me in you. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And isn't that what the scripture says, that know you not that you're temples of the Holy Spirit? That's what we've become. The church building is beautiful as we could make it. With all its steeples and stained glass windows. There's nothing without the presence of God. I've been, into, I've been in cathedrals in Europe and, and uh, you know, I walked in there and you can just, I mean, it's just beautiful and there's marble and statues and everything. It's like, no, God is not in there. <laughs> so, I mean, you can, you can try to sweep it as clean as you want to sweep it and make it as beautiful as you want to make it, but it's, if God isn't in it, then it's not worth having. And, and that's the way it is with you and I. We didn't come here because, because God's here in this place. You brought him with you, didn't you? And you take him with you in the marketplace, and you take him with you when you, you get up in the morning, and that your, your wife is laying beside you. She's full of the Holy Spirit, and so are you. And you wake up in the, in the morning, and you get up and say, okay, Holy Spirit, what are we going to do today? I can't wait to see what you got for me. You are temples of the Holy Spirit, and that causes us to live way above what we think we are. We've thought too long that we're down here and that we're nothing but dirty, rotten sinners and we're horrible people and we're worthless and we're not. And God's going, no, 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 no. And see, that gets to the next point. If you stay that way, well, <laughs> what is the next point? Here we go. In, in verses 5 and 6, he said, he loves in love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Say this with me. I am adopted. That explains a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> we have a son, Michael, that we adopted, and every time he'd, he'd mess up, we, somebody would say, well, he's just adopted. His, his, uh, his bride says that to him. Well, you know, every time he... Uh, Every time he says something stupid, and you know, I love my son, but he's it's like me, he says something stupid once in a while. And uh, not very often, but once in a while. And, and he, uh, his wife Abby will say, you know, he's adopted, you know. So, you know, uh, it used to be older kids and siblings would say that to even their younger siblings, you know, say, well, you're adopted, you know. Big families sometimes will do that when they're jabbing at each other. 
And, uh, but we are adopted. And I've asked people that. I've said, you know, opened up by saying, hey, how many in here are adopted? And like one, maybe two hands. And, and really, we all should be. So if I say to you, how many in here are adopted today? The rest of you need to come to the altar and get saved. <laughs> You're fun. I'm adopted and chosen to have a brand new name. In John 1, 12 through 13, it says, But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In Romans 8, 14 through 16, it says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The ones led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Not the ones that keep falling back in the same old, same old, and say, well, we're just all sinners. You're always going to fall back into that as long as you have that kind of an attitude, as long as you're thinking that way. But God elevates us once again, and, he's, and he tells us that these are the sons of God, the ones that are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. If you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're the children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. That's what happens to us when we sin. We somehow lose that. We, when, when, we, when we have a continuous sin that we won't deal with, we're saints, but sometimes sin kind of creeps in. And we get a, a stinking attitude about our own lives and about who God is and about who other people are. And we begin to step back away from God. And there's something inside of the Holy Spirit inside of us cries out, Abba, Father. Even, even if you can't cry out, he does. The Spirit of God inside of us keeps crying out, Abba, Father, I want to get back to you. And it brings John back. It turns, it turns us back to him. And then you go, okay, God, I need to get my life cleared up. I need to stop thinking like I used to think. I need to stop this stinking thinking and, and convincing myself that, well, we're just all sinners, so I'm okay and they're okay. And I can, I can find somebody who's a worse sinner than me, and I can identify with them and compare myself with them and say, oh, God, uh, thank you that I'm not like him. I thank you, God, that I'm, you know, who I am. But I'm, I'm still a sinner, but, but so is he, and he's worse than me. See, as long as we're doing that kind of battle back and forth in our minds, as long as that's our thinking, we never overcome. And God's people want to overcome all kinds of addictions. God's people are addicted. And he never overcome it. We go through the motions. We sing the songs, but we really never overcome the things that God's talking to us about because we compare ourselves as sinners with other people that have like problems or maybe a worse problem. You can't get over it if you won't identify with who God says you are. So that's you know, it's kind of the first step. Now, I'm, what I'm saying to you is it doesn't come easy. You've got to train your brain. You've got to ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal things to you. Okay, so here's the, the point. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins and trust, and the forgiveness of, uh, of our sins, the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Because I'm forgiven and adopted. Okay, verses 7 through 9. Sorry about that. I jumped ahead. 
Verses 7 through 9. In him we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption. I'm not going to get saved and then get, get re-saved and then re-saved some other time. I'm not, I'm not going to sin and then get re-saved. I had an evangelist friend that used to come and, and preach and uh, he would you know, get people re-saved and they'd come up around the altars to get re-saved. I confronted him and I said, what are you doing? Well, he says, well, they need to get back to Jesus. I said, well, that's a whole lot different than getting re-saved. Resave looks good on my glory gun for as an evangelist for Jesus. I can put notches in there. Look how many people I had at the altar today. They got resaved. Oh, if you're a child of God, don't get resaved. Get right with God. Confess your sins to Him and, and move on. Say, God, I've been struggling with this for a long time, but I've got a bad attitude. I've got wrong thinking. And I need you to help me. And I want to cry out, Abba Father, to you again. And you get back to him. You get back to him. People that have that are sinners, they keep staying away from him. They convince themselves that they can't get back to him. So they stay away from God. And once you get this in your, in your head and in your spirit, what will happen is you'll want to run to God instead of running away from him. And when you start running to God, guess what happens? Deliverance. We sang a song this morning, I am free, are you? I am free, are you? I am free, am I? Good question. Because I'm forgiven and adopted, my Father will let me know His plan for my life. And God has a plan for your life and for my life. And let me share something with you. It's not to sit in the pew every Sunday. I'm glad you're here. If that's where you are right now, come sit in the pew. Just don't become a pew potato. I won't let you sit there. You've got to move on to the giftings that God has given to you. You've got to know what those are. Figure that out. Find out what it is. He's got a plan for your life. What is it? And I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's, it's greater than the plan that you have for your life. When God called me to the ministry, I'm a sailor and a construction worker for a lot of years. And four-letter words just flowed from my mouth and dirty mind, dirty language, and God called me to the ministry, and I'm going, <laughs> I laughed at the Holy Spirit when he spoke those words to me, and I said, Father, and I call my God Father, by the way, I said, Father, you're God, and you've never made a mistake in your life, but you're about to make your first one. <laughs> How does that make you feel? And boy, did we have a lot of stuff to clean out. And I remember I'd take my Bible to work with me and I'd you know, witness to people and I'd take my Bible with me and, and I was reading, I couldn't put it down. When I got saved, I came home and you know, I was a, I was a drunk. I came home and, and I asked my wife, I'm rooting through the closets and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm looking for my Bible. Where's my Bible? She said, you don't have a Bible. Yeah, I do. It's the one that I had when I was a kid. I went to Sunday school. They gave me a Bible. Where is that? She knew where it was, and she found it. And I couldn't put that thing down. I was reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it, and I just couldn't put it away. And one day, I was sitting there reading the Bible over a peanut butter lunch meat and lettuce sandwich. And if you want to be right with God, that's what you'll eat. 
I'm sitting there eating a sandwich, and I'm just crying out to God, God, what a, why, can't I, why can't I put this down? And I was reading through Ephesians, and we'll get to this. And in Ephesians 5, it talks about the washing of the water of his word. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, John, I'm flushing all the crap out of your life. If I can say crap here. Okay, I'll change that word. I'm flushing all the poop out of your life. All the putrid things that are in your life. All the stuff that you've thought on. All the, all the stuff that's in your brain that you want to get rid of. All those images that you should have never seen, never looked at. All those attitudes that you had about yourself and other people. All the unforgiveness and the bitterness and the anger. What I'm doing through my word is I'm, I'm washing you with the washing of my word. I'm flushing it. It was a holy flush. You could say that the Lord plunged me to victory. I needed a good plunging. Not bad. Maybe somebody has broken into your soul and lowered your price tag. That's what the enemy is good at. Jesus said this about him. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life, and that life is abundant. The thief comes, maybe come not to steal and... Maybe he hasn't really stolen from you, except stolen who you are, who God says you are from you. Maybe he's lowered your price tag. And you're using that lower price tag to identify with the cheap junk jewelry. But that's not who God says you are. This is who God says. This is what he says. We answer the question, how should somebody of this high of a price tag and this quality and this calling, how should I live then? See, that's what I have to ask God constantly. God, if I have this high of a price tag, that's who you say that I am. How should someone of this value, a gemstone of this incredible price that you paid for me, you set the price on it. You took junk and set a price tag on it because you changed everything on the inside and you gave beauty for ashes. How, how does this live then? How does this person live? And God has an answer to that. He says this, 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Second one, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men or enslaved by what other people will tell you about yourself. There's somebody that's always going to put you down. We need to be a people of God that elevate. We want to elevate. I want to elevate you to what God says you are. And we should do that for each other. Forget about the past, church. Forget about who, what, all that stuff. And let God elevate you to who he says you are. And then you become a lifter of other people. That's, that's what God's called us to do. 